0: Father we love you lord you are a master and king you have complete authority over our lives anything you desire anything you want you can sway us and move us anywhere you choose or please we lay down our lives for you we are here for you and you alone we submit to you and i ask lord please that we would receive from your word so that we would be able to bring you more glory that our lives would beam the light of jesus that we would be changed in an instant as the word goes in, the dirt will come out of our lives. Please teach us your ways tonight as we focus on your son, Father. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 53, again, um, the Jews would title this a suffering servant of some type. Um, many scholars titled the suffering servant but who is this servant that's the question we're going to start in chapter 52 because uh, there is three verses we got to read back in verse 13 are you there isaiah chapter 52 verse 13 we're going to start check it out behold isaiah speaking writing down speaking for god god says behold my servant shall deal prudently He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Stop there. This word extolled here means to be lifted up. Do you remember what Jesus said there in John 12? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. If I be lifted up, I will draw them to myself. And that being lifted up, he was talking about his death. The next verse reads there in John 12. If he be lifted up, yes, he will definitely be exalted and extolled, lifted up, and he will draw men to himself through it. Verse 14, as many were, I'm sorry, One says astonished, as, as many were astonished at thee or astonished, his uh, visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. This is obviously, as you're seeing, this whole passage is is a picture of Jesus Christ our King. Not only a picture, but a prophecy. Not only a prophecy, but the actual tellings of the future of what will happen to the King. You've got to understand, Isaiah writing this in this time, hundreds of years before Messiah is going to come, he's speaking about the one. The Messiah that will come. Look at how detailed this is. You, you, you really got to figure this out before we start to venture into this, okay? How much detail could you possibly talk about one man, like me or you right now, start to speak about some guy that's going to be Messiah, or we would claim for him to be Messiah, and we would speak about his death or the way things go down, and how exacting would it be? If I was to stand here and tell you about how anyone in this room was going to die, even in this life, it would blow your mind. But think hundreds of years down the road to be able to prophesy or to speak about that. That's impossible. Who could possibly do that? And as we look at how exacting this prophecy is and we match it up with what happened there on the cross, you will see it is a perfect match. The big thing that's happening here is Isaiah is speaking. You've got to remember there hasn't been any Jesus yet. There hasn't been any cross. There hasn't been any of that. You've got to erase all that from your mind, okay? And we've got to look at this passage as if the cross has never even happened yet. That's the way the Jews are receiving this. That's the way Isaiah is even speaking this. Many were, again, astonished at thee. It says that he would be marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So if Isaiah was saying this, he was going to be, this guy, this suffering servant, is going to be marred more than any man. You instantly think of the cross, don't you? But don't think of that. You've got to race that out of your mind. What would you think of if I just said to you, hey, there's a guy that's walking down the street in about five minutes. He's going to be beat up so bad that no one would even know he's a man or beat up so badly more than anybody ever on the face of the earth. What would you think? Probably think people would walk up with chains and bats and all kinds of stuff and just go to town on this guy, right? And that's what you think. But they weren't thinking cross. They don't even know what that is yet. Okay? Crucifixion. They don't know what that is. It's not in play. Not until the Romans come along. And you've got to understand that this marred beyond any man is the truth, is it not? Jesus Christ our king, do you know what he did? You know how far he went? He was beat worse than any man to ever walk the earth he was abused do you remember they put a bag over his head and they punched him They said prophesy to us tell us who's hitting you you remember that they beat him with sticks they laughed at him mocked him spit on him ripped his beard out you got to understand could you even see that happening here over at Denny's parking lot? If, if someone put a bag over someone's head and started to beat them? I mean, what? I mean, this is crazy. You see, when that kind of stuff happens and someone is not even able to move out of the way or defend themselves, do you understand the blows? I don't know if you've ever seen somebody be hit. But to receive that kind of abuse is, is incredible, okay? Okay. If a bag is over your head, you can't tell when a punch is coming. You just receive the entire blow every time. You know? If you're chained to something and you're being whipped, remember what the cat of nine tails was, the scourging. You remember the lashings. The passion of the Christ is is painted it very well for us and given us a great picture. But you've got to understand Isaiah is speaking about this hundreds of years, again, before it even happened. And he says that he would be marred more than any man. How how could anybody prophesy that? This guy is going to be beat worse than anybody to ever walk the earth. Ever. That's pretty bad, huh? That's torture. And then it says, verse 15, So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told to them shall they see and that which they had not heard shall they consider and look at verse 1 of 53 who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground he has no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him Who will hear this report? Who will understand it? There are many who don't, the kings, no one saw it. Isn't it amazing that the king of the entire universe came to a city called Bethlehem and the whole world missed it? He missed it. They didn't even see it. How many people were at the birth? Only a few. You think that there would be millions, crowds everywhere. God is about to come down. No. No. And you think that he would have been born in at least a five-star hotel. I mean, a hospital is really nice, but, you know, at least something that's pretty comfortable. No. He springs up in the middle of nowhere. It says it there, doesn't it? It says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of the dry ground. It was definitely dry ground where he came. I mean, what's going on out in Bethlehem anyways? You know, still Israel, in this day, Bethlehem is not a nice place. You go to Bethlehem, I almost got arrested there. Just for walking in, you know. It's not the most beautiful. I mean, it's just like a, it's just like a run-down town. You know, a real ghetto. And um, it's just amazing the way that the king came to the earth. He didn't come on a Clydesdale horse. He came in on a donkey. Okay? He wasn't born in the best hospital, uh, Hospital, you know, UCLA. No, he wasn't born. No. He came in some barn. He's born in a barn. I mean, the animals, the everything right there, just let's just go find let's go to Norco, let's find a little barn over there. And say, oh this looks like a good spot. For a king to be born? Wow. But he breaks forth the dry ground, that's for sure. You know that there it's been four hundred years when Messiah comes, when Messiah actually comes to the earth there and is born, it's been four hundred years since God has spoken to the people. No prophet, nothing. Four hundred years. It's a long time, huh? Now, when we talk about Bible times, like 400 years, yeah, no big deal. You won't even live 100 years. 400 years is a long time. Four generations, no one's spoken, no one said anything. God has not spoken to the people, and then all of a sudden, out of the dry ground, this tender plant starts to come forth. And he was definitely tender, wasn't he? Our king? I really like to paint Jesus as the lion and the lamb, you know? I mean, he was a man's man. You know, he worked with his hands. He was a carpenter. Brothers, if you don't know what it's like to work with your hands, go do it. You little sissies. <laughs> Get dirty every once in a while, you know? Get those hands dirty. That's what men do. Grow some hair on your chest. Get out there in the field and work hard. Work with your hands. It's, it's the curse, man. That's what you got to do. you got to experience what it means to work. Go get a blister or two every once in a while, you know. Sometimes I don't like. I work in the office now; it just bugs me, you know, because I. And so, like at the gym, I won't use gloves because I want my hands to be raw, you know. So I just, I just, it's like I, I, I just let them get jacked up, you know, just right there on every. Anyways. But but I love, I love working outside. Love working with my hands. So I worked construction for three years, you know, and I just I love building stuff. I love doing all that kind of stuff. Just um, it's a great adventure, but. Jesus was a, was a carpenter, you know. He carried a cross. He wasn't some sissy lala, you know. He, he he's a man's man. He could move stuff, you know. He he could move a piano if he needed to, right? You know, he he could build a house if he needed to, no problem. He could build a house, right? He's a carpenter, yeah. And so, um, and it's so funny, you know, like in the in the uh, in the Passion of the Christ, they show him building a table and chairs and all that, and that's cool. But man, what about a house, man? What about a house? You know, carpenters build houses. Yeah, yeah. Carpenter, I've never seen a carpenter build a table. I've never seen him do that unless they're building a table so that they can build a house with the table, you know. Uh, it's true. They'll build these little tables like real fast just so they have a place to work. It's cool. But um anyways, you know, he's a man's man. And uh he, he's definitely the lion. Uh he could chase a man down. Remember when he went into the temple, he flipped the tables over. There was the big tables. He just walked in and just started flipping, I mean, just throwing them around like no big he, had a, he formed a whip. He made a whip. How many know how to make a whip in here? Anybody? You sissies. You sissies. All you. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. You know, he made a whip, man. He made a whip. And he went in there and he i mean—he drove the people out. That's crazy. He's a man's man. He wasn't like some little poindex. Hi, I get out of the temple. <laughs> uh, my father's house is a house of prayer. Uh, I'm going to try to flip that table over. He's not that at all. He's a man's man. But at the same time, he was a tender plant. Isn't it amazing that Jesus weeped for the people of Jerusalem? Oh, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wish I could gather you like a hen gathers its chicks. I want to bring you close in. But you don't desire. Jesus was the most manly man to ever walk the earth. Yet he was a man of sorrows as well. He weeped. He cried for the people. The picture I see is a great general who when he loses his men, he can't help but cry. He's lost thousands of men. He weeps for his men. But he stands strong in battle. He'll fight till the end. This is what he is. He's a tender plant. And that's what he was. Right out of the ground. He had no form of comeliness. You see that? And when we shall see him... There is no beauty that we should desire him. Wow, there it is. So Jesus wasn't GQ magazine. No. He was a normal guy. He was just a regular guy. He wasn't blonde hair, blue eyes, not even close. He was a Jew, okay? He probably looked more Arab than anything else. He probably had very dark skin, dark eyes, brown hair, black hair. Brown beard, black beard. That's what he, he looked. You wouldn't even know it was him if you saw him. Isn't that great? There's a king of all the universe just walked by. You didn't even know him. He didn't have a halo on, no. He wasn't going like this, <laughs> like this, <laughs> with a lamb around his neck walking around. He wasn't doing any of that, all right? He's a normal guy. But he had authority. He had power. I just love that. Even when the crowds came up, the people didn't know. They were looking for the, for Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Where is He at? They couldn't tell who He was. I like that. Jesus wasn't about being famous, guys. Nope. Wasn't about being all pretty and done up and beautiful and GQ. He wasn't about that. No. Nope. He wasn't about... Having all the power. Everybody look at me. Hey, everybody look at me. No, he ran from the crowds. Remember. He was a meek man. And as we will see, he was the meekest to ever walk the earth. No one would even desire him if you saw him. It says verse three, he is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He we despised. And we esteemed him not. Do you hear that? What a description, huh? His own people. What rejected him? The very Messiah esteemed him not. People. They rejected him. They hid their faces from him. Can you imagine? What do you think Jesus was thinking? I mean, he is the king of the universe walking around there in Jerusalem and the people are rejecting him. Even his own family, do you remember? Even his own people. What if you were God and you came down to your people to die for their sins and you're coming trying to welcome them with open arms and they're doing this? This is crazy. I mean, what happens when a loving mother or a loving father come to embrace their child and the child puts out the hand? They break their heart. No, dad, don't hug me. No, mom, don't love me. Wow, the king of the universe comes down to die for his people and they reject him. What a bummer, man. Sad, that's exactly what happened, isn't it? They missed it. They missed the whole thing. God came down as a man and lived, and they missed the whole thing. It just blows my mind. They actually despised him. They didn't just, like, not pay attention. They despised him, put him down. It says, verse 4, Surely he has, what, bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. And this is my this is my question to the Jew who is reading this in Israel. He has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows? He was stricken and smitten of God and afflicted? Who is that? He's bore our griefs. Interesting. This verse here is epic. For it tells us that he bore all of our griefs, all of our sorrows, and everything, every wicked thing that we have ever done. Now, 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 we've got to figure this out real quick because this is a big deal. Would you ever allow, would you give me your son or your daughter so that we can put on them all of my sins? Would you give me any one of your children? Let's send them to prison for something that I have done wrong. No, you can't do that. Who would offer up their child as a sacrifice? For me. Just for me. Come on, I'm a nice guy. Would you give your child for me? Father has gone so far to give His Son for the sins of the world. What if you walked into a prison, you see a hundred rapists, you see a hundred molesters, you see a hundred murderers, you see 300 wicked guys there. The wicked, the the sickest of the sick. Would any one of you say, okay, what we're going to do is We're going to take my son, and we're going to give my son, um, he's going to serve all the time for all those guys in there because of what they've done wrong. And um, because he obviously can't serve the combination, the combining of all of their years together, which would be thousands of years of service in prison, what we're going to do is torture him and beat him. so that they can go free. What? That's ridiculous. Who would do that? You got to understand, family, that we sometimes as Christians become so numb to the cross and what God has done for us, we forget how big of a price it was paid. He paid the price for those murders and those people who are just sick. Yes. And he bore all of that upon himself. I used to say that. Man, I'd die on the cross so that people could go to heaven. I'd do that. It's not that big of a deal. Until I recognized that it's not just being beat. No, he is receiving the sins of all the people to ever walk the earth. It is being poured out upon him. Who can take that in? Who can Remember, even before he went to the cross, he knew it was about to happen. He knew he was going to bear the sins of the people. And he cries out to his father and says what? If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. This is so much. This is so big. I don't know if I can drink this thing down. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And he went for it. And he endured the cross. He took it. You're the murderer. You are the one who has done wrong. And God set you free. For some reason, I don't even know. Me too. Can anybody tell me why? I mean, what's the deal, Father? He must like love you or something, you know. And what a great God! Surely He's bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. God did not only not only turned Himself. Listen, this is huge. God not only turned over His Son to be put into prison, but guess what? Who did it? The Father did it to the Son. The father is the one who struck his own son so that you could be set free. It's incredible. He smote his own son. It's the picture of Abraham and Isaac. Do you remember? Do you remember when Abraham was going up to the mountain to sacrifice his son because God had asked him to. Do you remember that story? There in Genesis 22. And what did Abraham tell his son when when his son asked, "Father, what are we doing?" He says, "We're going to worship. We're going up to the mountain to worship, son." Wow. He takes him up there to the altar and he says, "What? Father, you said we're going up to worship, but there's no ram. There's no lamb. There's nothing to sacrifice." And the King James Version says, The Lord will provide Himself a lamb. Himself. Himself. The lamb. And guess what happens? Abraham lays his son there on the altar and raises the knife. And God stops him as he's about to kill his own son for sacrifice in obedience to God. But you know the difference between Abraham and the cross? Abraham didn't kill his son, but guess who did? Father killed his son. He put him to death for you. And that's incredible. There is no other king like him. There is no one who has laid down their life. Father beat his own son so that you could be set free and go to heaven when you die. God forbid you... Reject that and not accept it and recognize it every day. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. Why why did it have to be so bloody? Why did it have to be so sick, disgusting, and brutal? You want to know why? Because it is a picture of what your sin looked like. It is a description and an image to show you how terrible and wicked and sick we really are. Why couldn't why couldn't it have just been the, something else like the electric chair or being hung or some other kind of or being shot some other kind of killing? Why did it have to be a torture? Why did it have to be a cross? It had to be that way so that we could recognize how bad sin really is. And listen, family. The application for us is this. Every time you think about sinning, go look at the cross and see how bad it is. And if you want to be beat bloody like that, then go and sin. And you will be that way very quickly with your life. You will feel weak, tired, and even deathly ill within your mind, within your heart, within your own body because you sin. It is a perfect picture Of what we do not want. God gave an outward picture of the spiritual working. The outward picture, a bloody man beat so bad that you can't even tell that he's a man. Because all of the sin of the world is being put upon him there in that moment. To give you a picture of what is happening in the spiritual realm. You understand? It's a bloody mess. And if you want to be a bloody mess, then sin. And you will be that. By His stripes you are what? Huh? Healed. By His stripes you are healed. Um, and this is what uh, really ticks me off, I guess, about um, people putting down Christ and what He has done. Saying He did not die. I mean, I really do. I will become offended at that when someone says... Uh, Jesus is not the only way. Oh, really? Are you calling him a liar? Is he crazy? When he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one can go to Father except through me. No one can get to God except through me. No one. Was he crazy? Was he lying? Was that whole dying on the cross jazz just some big you know, game? You were slapping God in the face by saying that there are other ways. All religions lead to God. Yes, they do. But all religions do not lead to heaven. Look, I'm not saying this the Bible is. Jesus said it clearly. He's either a liar and a lunatic or he's really telling the truth. And all this dying on the cross stuff was not in vain. But he actually paved a way and made a path so that you could be what? Healed. Healed of your sin. Made perfect so you can get to heaven when you die. Healed. By his stripes we are healed. Not by Muhammad's stripes, nope. Not by Buddhas, because there isn't any. Not by Hare Krishna, Joseph Smith, or any other religion on the earth. There is none other. There is no other name by which any man can be saved. None. But Jesus Christ. It's the truth. By his stripes, Jesus our King, we are healed. Verse six: All like sheep we have gone astray; we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isn't that amazing? We have gone astray, yet he still has laid the heaviness and all of the iniquity. You know what that word iniquity? It really is a deeper word than just committing um, some kind of sin. Iniquity is that place. Of acting out in sin when you know something's wrong. It's like this. It's it's like if I walked up to you and slapped you in the face, would you forgive me? Yeah. But what if I told you, I'm about to slap you in the face five more times, you gonna forgive me? I slap you in the face five more times. Then I slap you in the face ten more times. And then after that I say, I'm gonna slap you in the face five more times. You gonna forgive me? What if I told you I was gonna cheat on you? Would you forgive me? What if I told you I was gonna leave you? Would you forgive me? if I told you I was going to steal everything in your house, would you forgive me? You ever notice those times when you know it's wrong to sin and you say, hey God, I know it's wrong and I'm going to do this anyways. I'm going to steal from you. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to cheat on you, Father. I know this is wrong and I want to do it anyways. Do you think God should forgive you? No. And he does. He forgives you over and over and over and over and over and over. We've cheated on God hundreds of times and he welcomes you back with open arms. Does he not? What a great king. Iniquity was put upon him. Yeah, that's love that no one gives, okay? No one in the world gives this kind of love. No one will forgive like that. We have turned away. We, like sheep, have gone astray. So don't ever think you deserve something, okay? Don't do that. Don't live life you think you just deserve a position. No. You, you deserve something from God. No, he deserves all of you. We don't deserve anything, and so anything that you get, you've got to understand what a privilege and blessing it is. Listen, you know know what? You need to be thankful for what you have. I'm going to tell you right now. I just, a buddy today was telling me about something he'd heard on the news about someone in another country. This man, this man, this is crazy. This man has taken his own daughter. I think it's in Romania. And he took her when she was 18. And he put her in a dungeon. And he kept her there for like 23 or 24 years, something like that. And he would go in there and he would rape her. And he had seven children with her. And she just finally got out. Someone finally discovered and found out. She's like 40-something. And she's trapped in there. And for any one of us to think that we deserve something, shame on us. You know, we've been given so much And I praise God that God is just and he knows what he's doing and that he will take care of that situation. No one will get away from God. But I want you to understand what a blessing it is. You can run around and do whatever you want, whenever you want. You have great opportunity to bless God with your life. To lay down your life for him. We need to change our mind, family. You guys with me? We need to change our mind. Your focus in life should not be about you. Huh? Yeah. It's not about you getting a job. It's not about you going to school and getting your degree. No. It's not about you having a family. No. It's not about you buying your cars and living your life. No, you're missing it. It is about you dedicating your life. This is what a Christian is. Dedicating your life to give all of your life up for God. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I can't go to school? No, you can go to school, but why do you go? You go so that you can develop something, any kind of gift, whatever it is that you want to do so that you can bring glory to God through it. And you get that job and you make that money so that what? You can bring glory to God through that job. Yes, ministering to people in your workplace, making money so that you can give and fund and bless the church and people. Uh Uh-huh. You have children so you can teach them the ways of the Lord and raise them up, raise up the next generation to live for Christ and to take ground for his kingdom. Yes. You buy a house. So that you can have neighbors. You can minister to them and love on them in the name of Jesus. And You make wise decisions, a place to raise your family. That's what this life is about. You've got to change your perspective. This isn't a mission for you to accomplish for yourself. This is a mission for you to accomplish for God. You've got to find out what you're supposed to be doing for him and get busy. Because when you get to heaven, if you've wasted all your time on you, you will be bummed, you will be ashamed. It is for God and God alone. It's amazing when people walk up, wow, Joshua, you've given your life up for God. Yeah, that's what Christians do, right? No, but you like really gave your life up and stuff. You know, you like you're you know, you, you work at the church and stuff. You know, I could never do that because I don't work in the church. Huh? I'm reminded of a man named Pastor Ralph Arthur who worked sixteen years at Stater Brothers. And gave up his life for the gospel. Ministering to everyone who came in contact with him. Shining the light of Jesus Christ. Giving up your life for the king. God will hold you accountable wherever you're at. But Lord, I wasn't working in the church. So? Not everyone is called to work in the church. You're called to work where you're at. We need people in the world. can't have all the Christians in the church. That doesn't work. We need lights out there. To shine the glory of God. Amen? Come on. He bore the iniquity of us all. He set us free. we got to use it for His glory. He deserves it. Look at verse 7. No more scriptures I got. Okay, we're, we're, we're good. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet what? He opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a shear before her shearers is dumb, so, she op- so he opened not his mouth. Did you hear that? How many of you know how to keep your mouth shut? You know when your mom says something to you? Got to say something. Got to say something back, huh? I got to get that last word in. Gotta make my point. Gotta let make sure that everybody knows what I got to say and my opinion. Why didn't Jesus defend himself? He didn't say anything. He was like a a lamb led to the slaughter. He opened not his mouth. Isn't that incredible? He opened not his mouth. He could have schooled those fools. Okay? He could have been like, I mean, he could have just started spitting wisdom out. Like, remember when he used to do with the Pharisees? I mean, he's sitting there. He could have just started working these guys, asking them questions, getting them all tongue-tied. I mean, just like getting their brains. I mean, he could have blew them like, on top of that, what could he have done? Like, oh, well, you guys want to play hardball, huh? Let me call down 10,000 angels. Or how about just the angel of the Lord? I'll just, I'll just bring down one angel who killed 180,000 men in one night. I'll just bring him down. He didn't. What an amazing example for us, huh? Sometimes you think you need to make your point, you need to defend yourself. Hey, if you're not guilty, you don't need to say anything. Jesus was not guilty, he was innocent. And we need to take this to heart as Christians. I've learned this in my own life. A lot of accusations get raised up against me all the time. All the time. If I'm innocent, then I just don't say anything. It's the best thing I could ever do. Just be quiet and let God exalt. It's the best thing you could ever do. Keep quiet. When you argue, just makes things more heated, doesn't It just messes things up. You gotta make your point. Make sure everybody knows why. Jesus didn't. Wow. If anybody was right, it was him. He opened not his mouth. Verse 8 He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare this generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, was he stricken? Wow. He's put in prison. You remember? He was held before the council, questioned him. I mean, he went through it all. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus has set the ultimate example for us. Humility. Humility. Made his grave with the wicked, didn't he? Who was he there on the cross with? A bunch of thieves. Isn't that crazy. The most innocent man to ever walk the earth, the purest man to ever walk the earth. He's nailed to a cross up there with two just wicked guys, as if he's one of them. I remember one guy recognizes the guy. One guy says, "Man, you are the Son of the Living God. Please let me be with you in paradise, your Lord." The other guy's like. Doesn't recognize anything. Completely missing the whole point of what's going on there. It's sad. He died with the wicked. And he had a rich man's death. Or he went to the grave, remember? In the rich man's tomb. Yep. Yeah. Look at all these little, little things. I've been to the tomb there in Israel. It is this nice tomb. But back in that day, I mean, it's huge. I mean, you could walk in. And, uh... It's in a garden and um it just it's it's basically everything that this is saying it says there in verse ten are you there yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him it what it please say that with me it pleased the Lord to bruise him say it again it pleased the Lord to bruise him. did you get that? it pleased the Lord to bruise him he had put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased God to bruise him. Do you remember Hebrews chapter 12? Oh yes, but it was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. Who is the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross? It's us. It's you. It's absolutely incredible that God would go that far for us and lay down his life for us. And the joy, the whole reason he keeps doing it, the whole reason is because of you, because of you, because of you. You were the joy. You were what he was thinking about. Yes, you individually when he was dying on that cross. He had you in mind. It's amazing. Amazing. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteousness I'm sorry shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall hear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, Do you see that he has poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors pictures of grace 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 and more grace my favorite picture of grace is Les Miserables yes the opera if you haven't seen it you got to see it now I mean operas are cool but you just got to go and see this one this is the one Les Miserables let me tell you about it just quickly The perfect picture of grace. It is the love that only God gives. It is the love that He has only given to us. And there is a man who is in prison or is in jail, but he has been set free. Jean Valjean. Yes, that's his name. And uh, he is set free. And he doesn't have a place to stay. And so the priest takes him in there in the town. Yeah, the priest takes him in what happens? Well, he comes in and the priest makes him dinner. You know the story. Makes him dinner, and there he is eating on silver plates. There's silver candlesticks in front of him and silver, silverware in front of him. Yes, not ster- sterling silver. It's the real stuff. Uh huh. And the priest there makes him a bed and says, Yes, um,. You know, you can go to bed um, whenever you'd like, you know, finish eating. And so he goes off to bed. And there, Jean Valjean, what happens? He's sitting there, recognizes the silver is right in front of him and chooses to steal it. He tucks it in his coat. And he goes as, on his way out, which the movie depicts, but I don't think the opera does, but the movie does. He walks up and on his way out, the priest says, what are you doing? And he kicks him and punches him out. And then he runs out of the house and leaves the priest there on the floor. Guess what happens? As he's out there in the town, the police catch him and see that he's out on the street. And they wonder why he's not at the priest's house. So they grab him and they recognize he has all this silverware. He stole the candlesticks. He stole the plates and he stole the silverware. So what happens? He comes and they throw him on the steps of the priest's house and the priest comes out what's all this going on the, the, the town people are there it's just this big ruckus is going on the priest comes out what's going on here it's like look this man that you took in he took all your silverware he took all the silver last night and the priest looks down at him and says he didn't take that I gave it to him he says let me go inside and get the rest And he goes and he gets the silverware and he gives it to him. And Jean Valjean is changed forever in an instant because the love of God is shown to him. When someone deserved punishment, they were given grace, mercy. And that is what God has done for you. You deserve hell. and God has set you free. You deserve to be put on that cross for you've done wrong. Jesus did not do wrong. And he took on the cross what you did wrong and set you free. Isn't he a great king? That's why I say long live the king. He's the greatest king forever. There's none like him. Don't miss out on that. If you come here tonight and you have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, I'm asking you why? What is holding you back from giving up all of your life to God? Maybe you're just that average Joe Christian. You go to church, you do your thing, but you have not submitted yourself to God fully. God's speaking to you tonight. He has given up everything for you. The least you can do is bow the knee and give your life to Him. And I would challenge, even as I pray, as I pray and we bow our heads that you would make a decision to follow Christ, that you would make a decision to recognize what He has done for you, so, you can have heaven when you die. So that sins can be forgiven. And so that you can be set free and start pursuing a life of righteousness. If you don't know God, you can know Him tonight. The Bible says, Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He is raised from the dead. And you will actually be saved in that moment that you believe. That's what it takes. A change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction in your life. And those of you who are Christians and you have just not been walking accordingly. Not focused on the king correctly. Not recognizing daily what he's done for you. It's important. Let it be a declaration in your life today where you say, you know what? He's gone so far for me. The least I can do is remember him daily and focus my life upon him for the rest of my days. His mission is my mission. Whatever he wants, I want. Let that be your prayer. Let that be what you desire. Can I pray? Let's bow our heads. Father, Father, do you hear us? I thank you so much for this group and all the work that you're doing in us. And Lord, we want to say thank you right now for sending your son down. You beat your own son You smote your own son for us. You put him to death so that we could be set free. Father, we are forever grateful and thankful. We do not take that for granted tonight. And we choose to lay down our lives for you. Lord, there are some here in this room who need to lay down their lives for you. And I pray that even during this prayer, they would just acknowledge and say deep within their soul, I want to serve you, God, with all my heart. I want you to be my king. My master, I am your servant and your slave. Show me where you'd have me to go. I lay my life before you. Be my God and be my Savior. Father, help them, those who acknowledge you, and step forth in that, to walk with you and to truly repent with all of their hearts and to turn from their lifestyle and live according to your will and your desires and your word. Help the Christians here, God, who are not walking close to you, to say to you, God, I haven't been walking the way that I should. I lay down my life from this moment on to live for your kingdom and to go as far as you desire me to go, to not live this life for me any longer, but for you and you alone. I will not make decisions unless you are a part of my decisions. It's all about you. This life is about you. It's about serving you. Please help them, Father. Those that make a stand, make a decision to follow you. Father, would you bless them and keep them? Would your face shine upon them? Would you be gracious unto them and give them peace? We need you, Lord. We walk out of this place exalting you with all of our hearts. In the name of Jesus, your son, we pray these things, who laid down his life for us. Amen. Amen. Amen? Love you guys. And I want the best for you. There's no greater life than living for the king. There is nothing that even comes close to the adventure of living for God, man. I love it. I love thinking about that. The next, you know, what am I, 26, you know, so the next, uh, you know, 40 years or whatever, just going to live for God. Just keep asking Him what He wants. I'm going to bring as many people into the kingdom as I can. Lay down my life for Him if I can. I'm going to manipulate and change as many minds as I possibly can to serve Him and to live for Him and to bow the knee to Him. I say that because I hope that you do the same please don't let Christianity be kind of a little side pot on the side of your life that you go to every once in a while make it your life that's all it is that's what a Christian is wherever you are whatever you do do it under the glory of God amen everywhere everywhere eating Chinese food do it in the glory of God Snowboarding, under the glory of God. Working on your car, hey, under the glory of God. All of it. Because you never know who's going to come in contact with you, you know? It's the mechanic that needs to know Jesus. It's that person who fell on the slopes that needs to know Jesus. It's that lady across the counter serving you Chinese food that needs to know Jesus. Got to take ground for the kingdom. Everywhere we go, your boss needs to know Christ. Uh Uh-huh. And he or she will come to Christ because of your example. Because you work harder than anyone. And they don't get why you're so honest. You talk about Jesus a lot. You just love people. That's what we're called to. Amen? Amen, Michael? That's what we're called to, man. Love you guys. Uh, We'll see you next week, all right?